Doreen and I have a friend who is a songwriter and a musician, and uh, he travels and does all this stuff. But he wrote a song, and I want to read the, some of the lyrics to you because it would definitely be better than me singing it to you. So I'm going to read some of the lyrics to this song that he's written. It says, Who is this man named Jesus, and what's he about? He calls himself Messiah, but I've got my doubts. I hear he goes to parties, turns their water into wine. Me and my friends, we all agree, that's a pretty good guy. So raise up your glasses, give toast and good cheer. This rounds on the house because the soul saver's here. Some think he's God, I'm just not sure. But there's one thing that no one denies, he's a pretty good guy. What kind of man would dare to say you're forgiven of everything you've done in your past? There have been all sorts of preachers, prophets, and teachers, but none have ever made claims like that. And then he turns the song to Jesus' perspective, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am that man named Jesus, and all this is true. I forgave the sins of that woman, and I can forgive any one of you. But if you want to live forever, I suggest you follow me, for I alone hold the key to eternity. If you want to find heaven before you die, you must figure out that he's more than a pretty good guy. Um... In no way does Mark believe that Jesus is just a pretty good guy. Mark would definitely tell you that he is his Lord. And, and, but he understands there's a thinking out there. There is a myth that people live their lives by that Jesus is just a pretty good guy. And fortunately for us, we have, a, we have record of a meeting, a, a come-to-Jesus meeting, if you would call it that. I don't know how many of you have ever had those meetings, but a come-to-Jesus meeting is a meeting that you have with someone and a polite ultimatum is given. Now, how you give that polite ultimatum, I'm not necessarily sure, but we have a, a come-to-Jesus meeting that is recorded, and Sue referred to it at the beginning. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and you'll see it on the screen. But it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus is a question that has been asked since he came onto the scene. Um, it's been a question that for most, you may not agree with Peter's answer, but you have to wrestle with the question because of who Jesus said he was. 39 ancient texts, not just the New Testament, 39 ancient texts say that Jesus did exist. They refer to his life, his death, his resurrection. There are 39 outside of just the New Testament saying that Jesus existed. Um, Timothy LaHaye said this, almost everyone, almost everyone who has heard of Jesus has developed an opinion about him. That is to be expected, for he is not only the most famous person in world history, but also the most controversial. H.G. Wells put it this way, I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is the most dominant figure of all time. But there's a point to this morning that is just, it goes beyond what Jesus said. Because if Jesus is not who he said he was, then what he said means absolutely nothing. Do you understand that? Do you, do you, I, I, my prayer is that we will begin to put aside the thinking that Jesus was just a good guy and begin to examine the evidence that Jesus presented us 
because of his claims. uh, Kenneth Latourette says, in this quote you'll see, It is not his teachings which make Jesus so remarkable, although these would be enough to give him distinction. It is a combination of the teachings with the man himself. The two cannot be separated. Now, I was having a conversation with someone a few months ago, and it stands out very clearly to me because I'll never forget the words that he spoke. He said, you know what, Jason? If If science could prove that Jesus never existed, that Jesus never died, that Jesus never lived, that he never did any of the things that he did, that he said he did, it wouldn't change my faith at all. Because it's about what Jesus said and, and the, the, the lines of life that he gave us to live out. How to be compassionate. How to be someone who is loving. How to be, it, it's the ideas and the principles that he taught. And I looked at him and I just kind of... My, I knew he could tell I was a little shocked because 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen speaks my heart. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If Jesus is not who he said he was, then there is no point to anything we are doing here today. That is what Paul is speaking. He's saying if Jesus did not do the things he did and was not who he claimed to be, then everything we're talking about is a waste of time. So when I I, I had that conversation, I was just like, I can't can't agree with that. If Jesus isn't who he said he was, then I'm going to go do something else. But because the evidence that I want to present to you has been weighed and I'm weighing it and I hope that you will begin to weigh evidence. I pray that you will begin to go, I'm going to make Jesus an issue. If you're in here and you're like, well, I'm just checking Jesus out. Don't just check him out. Commit your life to figuring this thing out. Don't just go, you know what, Jesus, that's great. You know what, maybe we'll talk about it. My heart is that this morning you will see from his claims who he said he is. And that you will begin to wrestle with Him. And you will begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in His truth and point you to Him. What did Jesus say of Himself? Jesus on trial in Mark chapter 14. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked Him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. One small court judge put it this way, said, It is plain from each of the gospel narratives that the alleged crime for which Jesus was convicted was blasphemy, not what Jesus had said concerning the temple. In John chapter 10, this is what Jesus says, The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, At my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. In Matthew 26, But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. You have said it is just the simple, proper way in the Greek from saying, Yeah, I'm him. John 14, 1. 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus had the audacity to declare that everyone's eternal destiny revolved around him. In essence, he was saying the world does revolve around me. That is a very bold statement for a man to say. Um, One person put it this way. On the lips of anyone else, the claims of Jesus would appear to be evidence of gross egomania. For Jesus clearly implies that the entire world revolves around himself and that the fate of all men is dependent on their acceptance or rejection of him. Not only did Jesus claim that he was God, but there are, there, there, there are times in the Bible where you see Jesus accepting people's worship. In Matthew, a leper comes to Jesus and worships him. In John, a blind man that is healed by him falls at his feet and worships him. In Matthew, the disciples worship Jesus because they were convinced he was who he said he was. One man put it this way, for the reason overshadowing all others, which led directly to the shameful execution of Jesus was his incredible claim that he, a simple carpenter's son among the shavings and sawdust of his father's workshop, was in reality God God in the flesh. What others say of Jesus? What did other people that we have recorded speaking say of Jesus? The Pharisees shouted at him on the cross in Matthew chapter 27. He trusted God, so let God rescue him. Now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The chief priests, the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all very clearly understood what Jesus said of himself. In John 19, 7, the Jewish leaders replied, by our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. In John chapter 5, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Other people understood what Jesus was saying about himself. Jesus did not use tricky words to tell them that he was who he said he would be. Um, In the New Testament, Paul, all through the New Testament, agrees that Jesus is God. John the Baptist declares it. Peter declares it. Thomas the doubting apostle declares it when he says, My Lord and my God. The writer of Hebrews declares Jesus as Lord. John the apostle makes it clear who Jesus is. Stephen declared Jesus was Lord as he was being martyred. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Jesus did not look at his disciples. Say, John, would you please just let the world know that I'm a really nice guy. Peter, would you just let them know that when they portray me in the future that I want long hair and I want, I want sandals and I want to pick flowers and I want people to think that I am a hippie. But that's what we've whittled it down to. We have put words in Jesus' mouth that he never spoke. We have made him look, and we have allowed this mentality to set in that, man, if people will just think that Jesus is a good guy, that's enough. It's not. And so what do we do with these claims that Jesus himself made? We have to make a decision. Because there are only two options. They're either true or they're not. Two options. And today what I wanted to do is I just wanted to share with you briefly something 
that has been a compelling argument in causing me to weigh the evidence. And and C.S. Lewis has just put it in a way that, for my brain, begins to make sense. And my prayer this whole time that we've been getting ready for this one is that you would begin to weigh the evidence. That you would not take a back seat. You would not put Jesus in a back seat and go, you know what? If I figure it out, I figure it out. But no, you would put it, if it is the most important decision that you are going to make in life and who do you say Jesus is, then it's got to be an issue. And so Jesus' claims are either true or they're not. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way, that he either knew his claims were false, making him a liar, or maybe he made claims, but he was kind of out of his mind, so he didn't really know what he was saying, making him a lunatic, or Jesus is Lord. We have been given very few choices in who we say Jesus is. And me, walking around with the mentality that Jesus is just a good guy is not one of them. And so this morning, I wanted to just present a few snippets on his claims. So was Jesus a liar? Could he have been a liar? Could he have said these things and deliberately led people astray? Could he have been going, you know what? I'm going to lie to these people. And and, in fact, you know what? If, If he was lying, he'd not just be a liar, but he would be someone who you would consider terribly evil because he explained to people that their destinies were on him. And if he couldn't back those things up, and he wasn't just a liar, but he was a very evil man. And so when you weigh that evidence, you have to understand that, okay, he's a liar, or maybe he is. Maybe he did lie, but he'd also be considered a fool. Not just evil, not just a liar, but he would be considered a fool because he actually died for his lies. That is something that you have to consider. And so when you look at it, if he was a liar, and therefore evil and a foolish man then how can we explain the fact that he left us with the most profound moral instruction ever to be recorded? Could a deceiver teach you and I such unselfish, ethical truth and leave us such a morally exemplary life? The evidence does not point to him being a liar. What's the other option? Well, maybe he he was a lunatic. Maybe he was somebody who was sincerely convinced that he was God, but he was just kind of out of his mind. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know what? You can believe something with all your heart, and did you know you can be wrong? Did you know that you can be sincere about so many things in life that you're like, oh, I totally believe it with all my heart, but if there's no weight to it, if there's no truth to it, then it can be wrong? I can believe in my heart that I am as big and as strong as jazz, but we know that's not true. Now here's the deal. I love this quote because I believe that it helps me. Peter Kreft put it this way. A measure of your insanity is the size of the gap between what you think you are and what you really are. Now, just leave that up there. And what I mean by that is if I were to make the claim today that Jason is the greatest stupid video maker on the planet, you might look at me and go, man, you are arrogant. Because I do make stupid videos. I do. But for me to claim that I'm the greatest would just be arrogant. Now, if I were to stand on this stage and tell you, I am Superman. I can fly. I can do all the things that he said he can do. I can do it all. 
If I were to stand on this building and jump off, I would take off. It'd be amazing. Most of you would be like, Jason, you're working a little too hard. Just come on, come down just a little bit. So the gap is increasing. Now, if I were to stand here and tell you, you know what? I am a butterfly posing for pictures on flowers at the Biltmore. You would say, paddy wagon, padded walls, straight jacket. Now, if I were to say, I, me, someone who has flesh on his body, an in, a, a finite being, someone who has a beginning and an end, if I were to stand here and tell you that I am God, that is the greatest gap you can possibly go from. Someone who is, who is, who is finite, who has a beginning and an end, saying that he is someone that does not have a beginning and an end. So when, when Jesus was making this declaration, this was the largest gap of insanity that you could possibly go to. Jesus didn't mess around. Could he have been crazy? I want to I present to you three very distinct qualities that Jesus carried within himself in an abundance. They weren't just kind of like they were kind of there, but they were there in abundance. He had practical wisdom and an ability to read human hearts. He could tell when there was a problem. Jesus was able to see to the hearts of people when there were real problems that real people were struggling with. He had a deep and winning love, a compassion, a passionate compassion, an ability to attract people and make them feel at home and forgiven. And over and over, people make statements that he spoke with an authority not found in religious scribes. Folks, crazy people don't make me feel at home. I'm just being honest. I don't know if you sit around crazy people, but I do not like going, how are you doing? Jesus had an amazing ability. Let the children come to me. Children loved running to him. My kids can tell. My, my, my boy can tell when there's someone crazy. He just stands there and stares. And I get that look a lot. I'm not sure why he does that, but he does. And Jesus had an ability to astonish. His unpredictability and his creativity are some things that I know that if you read in medical magazines, liars, if you have friends that are liars, uh, and I have, and if you have people that, that you deal with regularly that are clinically insane, they are very predictable. And I know that sounds weird, but there are patterns that they follow, and they do the same things over and over and over. And Jesus was not that way. So the evidence doesn't point that way. And not only, if you were to read the Gospels, any human being could tell that Jesus was not only sane, but the counsel that he provided us gives us the most concise and accurate formula for peace of mind and heart. I want to read a quote to you guys from J.T. Fisher. He's a psychiatrist, and this is what he said. He said, if you were to take the sum total of all authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists and, and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, if you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out all the excess verbiage, if you were to take the whole of the meat and none of the parsley, and if you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward 
an incomplete summation of the Sermon on the Mount. And it would suffer immeasurably through comparison. For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to humankind's restless and fruitless yearnings. Here rests the blueprint for successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. So if Jesus, the evidence does not point to him being a liar, the evidence does not point to him being a loony. So you must consider the evidence that points to him being Lord. If he is Lord, John chapter 20 says this, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you will have life by the power of His name. The Bible was not written to give us an idea of just some good ideas to take into life. The Bible was given to us so that we would believe that Jesus is who He said He is. William Beardewolf put it this way, and I love this. A man who can read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man can look all over the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and not see the sun. Jesus made it very clear that He is who He said He is. He did not give people guesswork. He did not leave an option for you and I to go, you know what, Jesus, He's a good guy. He's up there with some of these people that I've seen before. Jesus didn't give us the option to choose. He's a good guy. And my prayer is that you will not walk around with that false mentality. Because Jesus didn't give us the option. He is either Lord. If He's not Lord, He's, he's a liar or He's a loony. Because for one man to claim that the eternity, that eternity rests on Him, is a very bold statement. Jesus did not intend for us to walk around with the idea that he was just a good guy. But, I know there are some of you that probably deal with people, or maybe you're in this room wrestling with, okay, if I declare Jesus is Lord, there's some moral implications involved with that. And maybe you're someone in here who's going, you know what, I know the evidence is there. It's not that I can't believe, it's just that I, I won't. Because of what it means to be a Christ follower. You know, I, I, it's, it's not that I, that I can't, it's just that I, I won't. Because of the whole taking up your cross, dying daily thing, I'm not sure about that. Because I'm liking being in charge right now. I like knowing I'm boss. It's comfortable. It's a good feeling. My prayer this morning for you all is that as you have people that wrestle with this, that maybe you're one that's wrestling with this, that you would begin to examine the evidence. That you would begin to go, you know what, I'm going to make Jesus an issue. Lee Strobel puts it this way in, in his book, Case for Christ, which I would definitely recommend if you're struggling. He says, do these three things when it comes to Jesus. He says, make it a front burner issue. Do not put it back, put it aside, put it on the shelf. Make it a front burner issue. He says, resolve to have an open mind to go wherever the evidence will take you. Even if it takes you to the very uncomfortable conclusion that Jesus is who he claimed to be. 
You know, research is tainted when you search with an agenda. Any historian will tell you that. When you're searching to find something that you want to find, that you already have the ideas in your brain of what you're hoping you're going to look for and what you're going to find, it would be tainted research. And so to truly, openly go, you know what, Lord, I'm going to seek you. And the Lord, you know what he does? He promises us that he will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. It's a great invitation. And finally, he says to reach a verdict in this case for Christ. Reach a verdict. Don't treat it as if it's just kind of a side issue. Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then it's way more than a side issue. Eternal destinies are at hand. Life abundant is at hand. The peace that passes all understanding that we use so regularly is at hand. Jesus didn't leave us the option for a pretty good guy. Matthew 16, 15 and 16, I want you to see it again. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Not everyone is going to choose Peter's answer. But do not ignore the question. Do not ignore the question. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, because I believe he just puts it as best as possible. It says, I am, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, was not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This morning, I, I want to give you guys a chance to respond as Nate and the team come and play. Um... I've made up those slides, that slide that you've been seeing pretty consistently and the different alternatives and the options that Jesus gives for us. I made them up into little ones. And if you're one that's in here that is journeying and you're like, I'm still trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, I would love to stand next to you in this journey and walk with you and go wherever the evidence would lead. But I will tell you that I have been convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And it transforms everything I do. It's why I get up. It's why I love my family the way I do. It's why I, I, I want to see Asheville reach for, the, for Jesus. It's because I'm convinced He is Lord. But I'm also convinced that He really does love me when I'm not loving Him. That He seeks me out when I'm not looking for Him. So there may be some of you in here that maybe you're not looking for Him. Well, He's looking for you. That's a great invitation. And so if you're one who, who is, is kind of on this journey, and maybe, or maybe you have friends that are on this journey and you want to journey with them, I want Jesus to be a, a front burner issue. 
I want them to be topics at discussions at lunch, young people with your, with your peers and, and, and on lunch break with your coworkers and, and at home with your family as you wrestle and struggle with who is Jesus. And so myself and Pastor Shannon will be down here. If you're one of those who would just like for us maybe to pray for you, and maybe you want one of these for yourself, to be able to put it on your mirror, to be able to put it on your driver's side car door, wherever, on your rearview mirror, on your neighbor's forehead, so you're constantly seeing it when they're looking at you. I don't know where you want to put it, but make him an issue. Because if he is who he says he is, and it is the biggest decision you will ever make. Father, thank you. Thank you for not giving us the choice of calling you just a good teacher. Lord, but thank you for causing us to seriously sit and wrestle with the question of who you say you are. Lord, may we not fall into the trap of putting words into your mouth, but may we just go, what did you say about yourself? And Lord, may you lead us by your truth as your word says you do. And Lord, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Set us free. In your name we pray.